We don't know much about this prophet Joel. His writing was called elegant, clear, and impassioned by W. Graham Scroggie, a 19th century minister and expositor. The name Joel means Jehovah is God. He's been called the John Baptist of the Old Testament. The first half of Joel speaks of the desolation of Judah, and the second half speaks of the deliverance of Israel. The theme of the book of Joel is the day of the Lord. The term is used five times in the book, and he, they believe, was the first of the prophets to use that term, although we see it in uh, the major prophets and, and the other minor prophets. They believe his is the earliest of the writings that included uh, that term. At the time of the writing of the book, the nation of Israel was divided into two countries. There was Judah, the southern kingdom, and then Israel, the northern kingdom. God, at one point, calls Israel Ephraim, which was one of the ten tribes of the north. The two tribes of Judah were Judah and Benjamin. And so the city Jerusalem was in the nation of Judah. It was in the southern kingdom. You don't really hear much about that as we're going through the study. As a matter of fact, you don't hear a lot of details about anything. It's more of a vision that he's having, and it speaks of things that are going to happen or that have happened, but definitely that are going to happen in the future. I want to remind you of something that we often speak of when we're talking about prophetic scripture, and that's the law of double reference. And this speaks to a near fulfillment of prophetic scripture and then a far fulfillment of scripture. Sometimes this can be specific about a type of person or a character, or it's about an event, an event that will take place near, an event that will take place far. And in the book of Joel, it's very evident that we're talking about both near and far events that are going to be taking place. Jesus did this very thing. He gave us an example of this law of double reference when he was um, speaking in Matthew chapter 24. And he was talking about the destruction of the temple and the destruction of Israel because of the, um, the, the nation that came in. Rome, Rome came in and destroyed everything. Well, that took place in 70 A.D., but it was also, he was talking about the tribulation period. He was talking about how Israel was going to be running for their lives when they thought they were dwelling in safety. And then this nation came in and attacked them. And they 
Uh, it started with the abomination of desolation. So Jesus used this, this very um, uh, fact, this, uh, this law of double reference in that writing also. He used uh, terms like uh, to writing to women, you should pray that it doesn't happen on a Sabbath or that a woman isn't pregnant while traveling or nursing while traveling when this event takes place. And so he was talking about both the near, the 70 AD event, and the tribulation period. So it's, it's something that's documented throughout um, the Old Testament and New Testament prophecies. Uh, although you will find prophets, uh, uh, commentators that say, no, that's not what we think. We think it has to mean one thing and one thing only. And, uh, you know, fortunately, these people are the same ones that allegorize much of the text to when they don't understand or it doesn't agree with what they think it's supposed to mean. So um, it's important to keep that in mind as we're going through this. You'll see how that comes into play. So we're going to be begin in chapter one of Joel as we have the description of locusts upon the land of Judah. And in Joel chapter 1, in verse 1, we read, The word of the Lord came to Joel, the son of Pethuel. Well, that's about all we know about Joel, his dad's name. We don't know anything about Pethuel. He doesn't mention any kings. He doesn't mention anything that we can have as a gauge of when this may have been written. And because he has omitted, usually every uh, writer of the Old Testament will mention who the king is. Because that gives you an idea of the timeline. Since he's not, this very well could be the time when there was no king. There was the queen that was um, the mother uh, Athalia was her name. And she had a son that was on the throne and after one year, he went to battle and died. And so instead of allowing one of his sons to take the throne, she went and killed them all. And so there were no heirs then to take the throne, except one that was hidden. And he was saved at the temple. They were uh, keeping him safe. He was one year old, though. So he was a little young to assume the throne. Although nowadays it may be acceptable. Um, back then, it wasn't a good age to have uh, the king when you were older. Okay. So God calls out the inhabitants of the land here as we read in verse 2. Hear this, you elders, and give ear, you inhabitants of the land. Has anything like this happened in your days or even in the days of your fathers? Tell your children about it. Let your children tell their children and their children another generation. What the chewing locust left, the swarming locust has eaten. What the swarming locust left, the crawling locust has eaten. And what the crawling locust left, the consuming locust has eaten. And so here God is calling out 
the inhabitants of the land. That there's a devastation coming like they've never seen before. Very similar to when we're reading about the tribulation period. <clears throat> and we're re reading about events that are going to take place that have never been that bad ever before and will never be in the future. And, and so we kind of see a similarity about what's being written here and then what will be done in the tribulation period. So God had warned them in Deuteronomy chapter 28 about disobedience. He, uh, when uh, they were, I forget who it was, uh, they were in a field, and I think it was Samuel, and he sent a bunch of men up to one side of the hill, and then a bunch of men up to the other side of the hill. And, uh, well, actually, they were all in the field. They sent one guy and one guy, and he was, had to read all of the promises of God, the blessings of God that were going to come upon the people if they were obedient. And then on the other hill, the man was up there reading, and I'm trying to do this through memory, so you know I apologize for ad-libbing here. But the other one read all of the curses that would come against the nation of Israel if they weren't obedient. And those curses included locusts and famines and, and, um, and drought and so on and so forth. And so now they're being called out. They're being told, this is what's happening. You're experiencing these things and it's going to get worse. You're going to experience the worst of it. Uh, the stories of the judgment of God was to be passed on from generation to generation. Not for the point of frightening the, the kids, but that's how you prepare them. That's how you remind them. They were good about reminding them of what God did for them in Egypt and how he saved them out of Egypt. And they reminded of the parting of the Red Sea. And, and you know, the people were afraid of them because of what God had done to protect them and bless them. But at the same time, they continued to do the same stupid things over and over again. And we see that they're supposed to be reminded of that too. This is what happens when you don't obey, when you don't listen to what God said. They wanted, God wants the children to know so that they won't follow the same paths that their fathers had. It's been said that Christianity is always one generation away from extinction. And I believe that to be very true. We're seeing that today where people don't want to hear about the Lord anymore. They've taken him completely out of all the schools and they have, they're making sure they're doing their best to make sure children are indoctrinated in liberal thinking. And so that they won't even question whether or not there's a God. 
And if they do question whether or not there's a God, he's not a God that they will like because he doesn't let them do what they want. He doesn't let them have abortions. He doesn't let them, you know, uh, sin the way they want to sin. And so he's not a, a good God. You know, he makes everything hard for the youngster. And that's how come they are so against God. If you actually talk with these people, uh, they are lost and they're empty and they have no reason why. They, they have no understanding of why they feel the way they do. You know, and that's why things continue to go from bad to worse. Because they continue to head down that same direction. If we don't pass Christianity on to the next generation, it'll dwindle away to the point where it has no impact on society. And I believe we're very close to seeing that happen also. So the destruction of the locust, it appears to be four varieties of locusts or maybe stages of locusts and how they develop and the different stages that they're in. They say when they're young, they, they crawl around and then eat everything. And then when they get a little larger, they start hopping and they eat everything. And then they learn to fly and then they, then they get full and they have to crawl again, I guess. I don't know. But anyway, four different stages of the locust. But this may also be four years of locust infestations. Four separate uh, you know, times that the locusts come in because there's a time where once they wipe everything out, it, there's nothing to eat anymore. And so you have to have to wait for it to be planted again. So, and then start growing and then they'll come in to wipe it all that out again. So, and the reason why I think that may be uh, one of the better possibilities is because we're told in chapter 2, that God is going to restore the years that the locusts have eaten. And so this may be a period of time that the four different types of locusts uh, were there. This is the most devastating event, especially back then. They didn't have Twinkies that last, you know, hundreds of years. They, they didn't have stuff stored away that, that they can eat for a long time. But, uh, you know, th this was their food supply. Not only was it their food supply, it was their animals' food supply that relied on it so that the animals can give milk and so that the animals can mate, that they would have something to eat, the animals. And because of the fact that the food supply was devastated, uh, they had not much of anything. And so this was uh, a, a devastation. Interestingly, we also read in uh, Revelation about the four horsemen that come. And when you read of the four horsemen in chapter 6 of Revelation, it's the same kind of devastation. The famines that are destroyed, the drought that comes, and people die because of these four horsemen that are released on the earth. And so here's another 
possible relationship between these four different locusts or types of locusts and the four horsemen uh, that are going to be in the future. We read then in verse 5, Awake you drunkards and weep and wail all you drinkers of wine because of the new wine for it has been cut off from your mouth. For a nation has come up against my land, strong and without number. His teeth are the teeth of a lion, and he has the fangs of a fierce lion. He has laid waste my vine and ruined my fig tree. He has stripped it bare and thrown it away. Its branches are made white. And so now we go to a battle of a nation. And this is comparing the locusts to a nation. Well, this sounds more like the Assyrians who are going to be coming in and they're going to devastate the land. Uh, I think it was 722. So this is about 835, they believe, when this was being written. And so this is a wake-up call. You're going to be attacked, and a nation is going to come in, and they're going to destroy you completely. There is going to be nothing left. So they're, they're warned, wake up. And it says drunkards, you see, and the drunkards are those that are living comfortably. They're living in, in peace, and they can... You know, they have their wine, their vineyards are good, everything is good, their food supply is good, and now all of a sudden, the locusts are going to take it all away. But besides that, whoever this invading, invading nation is that's coming against their land, uh, the, the vine is ruined. The fig tree is destroyed. It's stripped away, even down to the bark being removed. This is devastation that just, it won't heal. It's not going to produce next year. Alcohol may distract some from their current situation, but when you get to this point and there's no alcohol, there's nothing to distract you, there, but it's also necessary for a food supply. You know, many of the, much of the water back then was contaminated, and so the wine was uh, good for, you know, being clean enough to drink and not kill you. Uh, the water wasn't always that clean. And now they're going to suffer because they don't even have the wine. Notice how God takes this personally. They're coming against his land. He says, uh, he has laid waste my vine and ruined my fig tree. He's taking this personally. But here's the thing. God is allowing it. He's allowing it. There, there, it isn't like God couldn't do anything about it. it isn't, God isn't telling them, hey, go stop them. He's not saying that. He's the only one that could stop this. But he's allowing it because of their disobedience, because they decided that it was better to sin than uh, to repent and uh, to ask God for help. 
We compare the spiritual condition of Judah back then with the spiritual condition of the U.S. today. The destruction of our crops, eggs, chickens, all of these things going on. We just heard of more destruction. There were a bunch of cows that have been killed in the Midwest because of heat, they're saying. But tens of thousands of cattle uh, were killed. And, and this just continues to go on and on and on. And so as we're seeing all of these events take place before us, right now, we're not really being impacted as well. We go to the store, there are still eggs on the shelf at the moment. But the egg production facility that was destroyed produced 90 million a month, and they're completely shut down. So where are 90 million eggs going to come from? There is no place for them to be replenished from. So we're seeing this happen, and it's like, well, this is freaky. This is frightening uh, because we've never seen anything like this before. I think it was this morning, uh, Israel signed um, a contract with Europe to provide natural gas, liquefied natural gas, to Europe because they have a huge amount of natural gas uh, off the coast right there. I think it's the, called Leviathan oil field. And it's a, a massive amount. But who currently provides that to Europe? Russia. And so the contract was signed today. And it's in partnership with Egypt. They're going to send the gas to Egypt and Egypt is going to liquefy it. And then they will ship it to Europe. And this is like Israel. Israel who couldn't do anything right, you know, 15, 20 years ago, that nobody would do business with them. Now, all of a sudden, they're going to be the primary supplier of natural gas to Europe. And so, um, hook in the jaw for Russia to come in and attack. This is another one of those things that looked like it may be uh, impacting the, uh, or at least influencing uh, the decisions that Russia is going to make in the future. Back to Joel, we're going to be picking it up in verse 8. Lament like a virgin girded with sackcloth for the husband of her youth. This is speaking of a, a, a virgin that just got married and uh, haven't even consummated the marriage, but her husband is dead. And so she puts on sackcloth to mourn. And sackcloth is like a, a barley, a, uh, you know, sack, a potato sack that they wore to show um, that they were lamenting. And then verse 9, the grain offering and the drink offering have been cut off from the house of the Lord. 
the priests mourn who minister to the Lord. The field is wasted. The land mourns, for the grain is ruined. The new wine is dried up. The oil fails. Be ashamed, you farmers. Wail, you vine dressers, for the wheat and the barley, because the harvest of the field has perished. The vine has dried up, and the fig tree has withered. The pomegranate tree, the palm tree also, and the apple tree. All the trees of the fields are withered. Surely joy has withered away, away from the sons of men. And he's picturing how they should be wailing. The priest won't be able to perform the drink offering. They won't be able to perform services because they don't have anything to perform the services with. It doesn't matter anyway because they were so disobedient that God wasn't going to honor their phony service anyway. What they really needed to do was repent. I believe it was God's plan to really bring them to the point to realize how serious things actually were. The farmers were amazed. They were in awe of the devastation and had all hope taken away from them. They were just hopeless at this point. There was no way that they were going to get out of this on their own. All of the vines and the trees had lost their leaves and fruit. There was no joy in the land because of its destruction. I feel that right now. The joy in our land is slowly dissipating. The joy that some people have are kind of like, this is June, Pride Month for homosexuals. What are they proud of? That they're homosexuals? Why should that cause pride? I, I'm a heterosexual. Should I be proud of that? Should I be marching out there with my flag saying, hey, I'm a homosexual, uh, heterosexual. I'm proud of that. You know, uh, that doesn't, we would think that's odd, right? But they don't think that's odd. They think that's a way to promote their sin. And people are supporting it. Heterosexuals are supporting it. Thinking that it's a good thing. You know, the LGBTQ started because um, they wanted, you know, uh, marriage between same sex. And at that time, from the pulpit, I said, if they get that, it's not going to end there. You know, they say that's all they want, but it's not going to end there. That's just the beginning. As soon as you give them this much, they're going for the whole thing. And that has proven to be true. They continue to push even down to the fact that they want to take four-year-olds and five-year-olds and make them change gender. There's something wrong with the parents, not with the children. So 
If they allow something like that, that's sin. That's evil. This prophecy of this army uh, is very well talking about the Assyrians that are going to be coming in. But we also know that in the tribulation period, there's going to be the enemy and he is going to be bringing in his army. He's going to be destroying the Jews. Only a third of them are going to make it out and the rest of them are going to be destroyed in the land. God is calling out Judah and I believe the same way he's calling out America to repent. Verse 13 Gird yourselves and lament, you priests. Wail, you who minister before the altar. Come, lie all night in sackcloth, you who minister to my God. For the grain offering and the drink offering are withheld from the house of your God. Consecrate a fast. Call a sacred assembly. Gather the elders and all of the inhabitants of the land into the house of the Lord your God and cry out to the Lord. First, the spiritual leaders are called to lament in sackcloth. They aren't able to have their usual offerings due to the judgment on the land. There's a fast to be called by these priests, by the elders. You know, God called many days and set them aside for celebrations, for times to get together and celebrate. There was never a day where it was told this is a day of fasting in that we're supposed to have, we have a scheduled day to fast, or at least the Jews had a schedule. They didn't have one, but they were told, you know, that fasting is when you need to get back to where you belong. You're in the wrong place and you need to get back to where you're supposed to be. A fast was called, they were going to go to the house of the Lord and cry out to him. And while we as the church pray for the Lord to intervene, we also know the day that we're living in. These are the last days. This, these are the end times. The Bible tells us what to expect. And so while we see the devastation taking place around us, while we see the work of the enemy, believe me, this isn't one party or another. This is the work of the enemy. He's involved in both parties, in all parties. And he is the one causing division, and causing deception. Over and over again, we read in the New Testament, you know, beware of deception. Beware of being deceived. You know, there's going to come a time where even the elect may be deceived if the time wasn't cut short. And I believe we're living in those days too. Because many churches are going away with these lies. They're following the lies, allowing... Uh, the, there's one Methodist church here in the United States that now has a transvestite at the pulpit teaching. And the things he has said about God 
are blasphemy. But he's got a full church. Lots of people coming. And, uh, you know, it isn't the size of the church. It's the size of the hearts of the people being filled with the Holy Spirit. So this is a great instruction for when we're in despair. Most of the time we go to our friends and neighbors and we cry on their shoulders. And, but really, uh, the first person we should cry to is the Lord. Cry out to the Lord. Because he's really the one that can help. You know, quite often our friends are a comfort. They bring us peace. And, and I'm not saying don't go to friends. But I'm saying we start with the Lord. And that's where our help comes from. Our, our, our help may come from our friends in a small way. But God can be there in a big way. In a way that our friends can't be. So question is there any repentance in the United States are we seeing repentance well not from the leaders in the United States it needs to be to start from the top down and we're not seeing it at all and it's kind of a shame it's sad that we're so caught up in the the politics of the day that we miss out on the spiritual ramifications of what's taking place in the world. So many people are being lost because of the fact that they don't know the truth. And so they follow along with whatever they're told by the government. Government says this, that must be the truth, and I'm just going to follow along with it. I'm not saying everything that comes out of the government is a lie, but... Our government can be very deceptive. They have an agenda, too. And I'm not sure. I guess I would put my money in Tesla right now. Anyway, we're in uh, verse 15. Alas, for the day, for the day of the Lord is at hand. It shall come as destruction from the Almighty. It's not the flood cut off before our eyes, joy and gladness from the house of our God. The seed shrivels under the clods, storehouses are in shambles, barns are broken down, for the grain has withered, how the animals groan. The herds of cattle are restless because they have no pasture. Even the flocks of sheep suffer punishment. O oh Lord, to you I cry out, for the fire has devoured the open pastures, and a flame has burned all the trees of the fields. The beasts of the fields also cry out to you, for the water brooks are dried up, and fire has devoured the open pastures. This day of the Lord, it says that the day of the Lord it shall come as destruction from the Almighty. It's from God that this is happening. But the Jews always thought the day of the Lord was God's judgment against their enemy. 
they thought it was going to be a joyous time for them and God was going to get rid of the enemy and destroy the enemy. Joel refers to the day of the Lord as against Israel. But this term is also talking about a future event, a future day of the Lord. It's mentioned quite often in the New Testament as Paul wrote in 2 Thessalonians 2.2 2, in encouraging the Thessalonians because the Thessalonians had thought the day of the Lord had already come. They thought that they had, they missed the rapture. And he told them, don't be quickly shaken in mind or alarmed either by a spirit or a spoken word or a letter seeming to be from us to the effect that the day of the Lord has come. <clears throat> the day of the Lord hadn't come. He's referring to the rapture of the church. But the day of the Lord that we're going to see in chapter 2 of Joel speaks of God's judgment, not on just the people on the earth, but on the nation of Israel itself. And then we know that they repent. We read that they turn around and many of them run away and are saved and they believe in the salvation of the Lord. They recognize Jesus as their savior, but not many of them are saved because of the judgment that's poured out. And the day of the Lord doesn't end until the judgment of the Lord. And so the day of the Lord is not just a one day event. It's a period of time that's going to take place. So first there were the locusts. Then the enemies of Israel. Then there was nothing left for the people that remained. This impacted the drunks, the priests, the farmers, and the prophet Joel. He even said here, um, O oh Lord, to you I cry out. He was repenting. For fire has devoured the open pastures and flame has burned all the trees of the fields. He was crying out to the Lord. Along with all of these others, everyone was impacted by this judgment. Can this happen in the U.S.? I believe it is happening in the U.S. in different ways. I believe there are different judgments that are being poured out on our nation right now. I don't believe that this is the wrath of God because we are not called to experience the wrath of God. I believe that's why we have the rapture because we are taken out of the way before the wrath of God is poured out on our nation. Some people believe that the wrath of God doesn't take place until the middle of the tribulation period. Well, for me, anything that God sends to the earth to cause chaos is the wrath of God. But this is not the wrath of God in that he's not the one sending these things, but he's allowing it. 
he's allowing the enemy to do what the enemy wants to do. And it, it would appear that God's hand was upon it because he allowed it. The same thing that happened to Job. He experienced a lot of bad things, but God wasn't the one that was doing that to Job. It was the enemy. And so we, as the church, well, that's why Jesus came. Jesus came so we wouldn't have to experience these things, so that we would have forgiveness of sin. And we won't be held uh, it, it's not going to be like we're going to go to the judgment seat for all the bad things we've done. There are two judgment seats. The Bema seat judgment and the great white throne judgment. And those going before the great white throne judgment are because they're going to be judged according to what they did with Jesus. If they did not receive Jesus as the Lord and Savior, then they are responsible for their sin. But the Bema seat judgment is a reward seat. We're rewarded for what we have done in Jesus. We received him, and we've. some people are going to get coal in their stockings, but they're still going to get to celebrate Christmas. But there are some that are going to be rewarded with much because of what they've done for the Lord here. And... I don't understand how that's all going to work. But in the end, if I have a seat in the back of the house in the last row, I don't care. I, I'm there. I'm, I'm going to be okay with that. You know, uh, unfortunately, a lot of people are going to hell because they chose to go to hell. They've been told over and over about the good news. But they chose not to believe the good news. Unfortunately, that's really what it comes down to. Our country is going through massive changes right now. And people are so deceived. Have you ever thought people would support the things that we're seeing happening in our world today? And people will wholeheartedly support these things. I've never thought that it was even possible but it's happening right before our very eyes. So even the Jews, while this was going on there, they were oblivious up until it happened to them because they were going through life with their blinders on. And while this is bad news for them, it's good news for us as to the fact that we are aware of what is going to come, that the prophecies are accurate and they tell us and they give us the details of what we need to be prepared. So now all we need to do is believe. And in believing, we will demonstrate what we believe by how we live. Amen? Amen. 